Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I promise you this is one Sunday you will not fall asleep. And uh, not because of me romping and stomping, but because of the subject matter. It's very controversial. It's not my desire to offend anyone, but one day I will stand before God and will be judged whether or not I fulfill the calling that He gave me, which is to speak the truth. It's my heart to always be encouraging. That's my heart. And I know it's biblical uh, pre- the biblical principle is to encourage. But taking priority over that is to speak the truth. Matthew chapter 7. Beginning with verse 13. Enter you at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. There's two ways the Bible defines living. Two categories of life. The life that lives in the broad way that leads to destruction, and the life that lives in the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Christianity is the narrow way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way to heaven. I know in our day and time that's not popular. It sounds intolerant. It sounds bigoted. It sounds narrow-minded and uneducated. But the world that honors Jesus as a prophet dishonors him by not believing what he said. And he said he's the only way to heaven. And so the church is to be a bridge between the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to eternal life. We'll just tell you right up front what our intentions are. Our intentions are to see you become a believer in Jesus Christ, receiving freedom from your sins through his sacrifice. And to see you grow in your relationship with him by becoming a disciple and following him and seeking to fulfill his commands for your life. So the church is a place where there's room for sinners. Amen. It's a bridge from that broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to eternal life. All right. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Look again at verse 15. Beware of false prophets. All right. Go to Matthew 24. We'll look at a parallel passage. 
Matthew, the 24th chapter. Verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 4 again. Take heed that no one deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We shared last week on the need to beware of false prophets and to build our house upon the rock. But when I look at America today, it is being led astray through the secular thinking that is being pushed through the media. Is it just me or in the last year? I'll just tell you right up front what I'm going to speak on. I'm going to to address the gay agenda. And by saying that, I know that raises your eyebrows, but I want to distinguish what I'm talking about in two categories. One, there is the gay agenda, that is the political movement to gain power and leverage in the culture so that they can have the rights they say they want to have, but also so that they can educate our children in public schools and institutions of higher learning to teach that this is an acceptable lifestyle. All right, I'm addressing that issue. But then I'm also addressing the issue of the individual struggling with homosexuality who wants to be free. Two different things. There are those people that are intent on changing the culture. And there are those people that desire to be free. So I'm addressing an ideology and not attacking persons. But we are going to speak the truth. Oprah Winfrey is is a false prophet. I'm sorry, she just is. I know there's a lot of good things about her. She says a lot of great things. But when you mix truth with things that are not true, what do you get? You have the greatest meal in the world, and when you pour garbage on top of it, what do you get? Garbage. You have fresh water, you mix it with salt water, what do you get? Salt water. So, this isn't an anti-Oprah sermon, but she's just kind of at the pinnacle of influence in the culture. And in the last year, it seems that every sitcom has a token gay person. And... uh, I'm not here to rile you up or fire you up or anything, but I've just noticed this, that they are turning up the heat on the culture. Gradually, a bit at a time. You know how to boil a frog without a frog knowing that he's being boiled? Put him in a kettle of water and just turn up the heat a degree at a time. One degree. Wait for a minute. Two degrees. Keep going up before long. He'll be boiling and not know it. The heat is being turned up in the culture. Christ said, do not be deceived. 
For many will come saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. There's an effort on the part of the gay agenda is to bring strong influence into the church. And so they get a lot of press when a guy is ordained a bishop in a denomination that for the most part is losing its respect for the word of God. There is also the gay agenda being pushed in so-called spirit-filled churches. Um, my brother is married to a lovely lady, been married to her for 12 years. Uh, it was my brother's fifth marriage. He was away from the Lord and didn't believe in living in sin, so he'd marry every girl he saw. And um, Now he's been married for 12 years to a wonderful woman who was married for 15 years to a guy who made a practice out of cheating on her with men. And after 15 years of putting up with it, the marriage fell apart. Well, this guy is now being quoted in Charisma magazine as a spokesman for Pentecostal gay churches. So while they're not disregarding the scriptures, they are reinterpreting them. And so I just want to say from the from the very stand from the very beginning is I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe it when it says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And while we are teaching on the commands of Christ, it just seemed natural to bring up this issue while we're dealing with it. In the culture, as Americans and as citizens of the kingdom of God, we've got to begin to see ourselves as missionaries. And just as a missionary going to another, another country would understand that culture, there's some things that the average Christian does not understand that you're going to understand today. And you may get mad at me for sharing some of these things, but you have to know it if you're going to be an influence. You have to know it. I've wrestled with this for several days, and we're going for it today. The question that Satan asked Eve is still being asked today. Did God really say not to eat of the fruit of the garden? Does the Bible, New Testament, really say that homosexuality is a sin that needs to be repented of? Has God really said? What does the word of God actually say? Well, we know that before the law, the book of Genesis, before the law, there was a community called Sodom and Gomorrah that God destroyed. And Sodom had several sins going on. Ezekiel bears them out, one of which was an abomination, and it's a sin of homosexuality. That community was destroyed. There's another community that had a similar thing of men pursuing men. In the book of Judges, it brings that out. The law of Moses, we're no longer under the law, but the law of Moses condemned stealing, lying, adultery, and homosexuality, as well as other sins. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, If a man also lies with a man as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they should be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. All right, under the law, there was death penalties for sin. Christ came and he paid the death penalty. Hallelujah, amen? amen. So we can be forgiven, not so we can sin. Deuteronomy 23:17 that says there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. 1 Kings 14:24 records this happening in the history of Israel. There were also sodomites in the land 
And they did according to the abominations of the nations, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. A few years ago, we were at a retreat um, when I was a member of another church, the YMCA camp. Uh, we rented a facility at the YMCA camp in Fort Worth. And while they were there, there was an, while we were there, there was another group. And it was a Pentecostal group that had rented a portion of the YMCA camp. It turned out they were a, it was a gay retreat for this Pentecostal gay movement. And so I met some of the guys and not wanting to be a jerk. You know, everybody deserves to be cordial and be respected as a human being. And who knows who I could influence? I don't know. Anyway, so I met them and they showed me their book table. And I noticed on the book table, they had a book, a couple hundred pages that looked like a paperback book that had this title. The title of the book was Everything Jesus Had to Say About Homosexuality. So I picked it up. I thought, this is strange to have here with these people's uh, beliefs. And so I picked the book up and thumbed through it, and it was a book of blank pages. Saints, that's a deception. That's a deception. John ends with these words. The book of John ends with these words. That these are not everything Jesus said and did. The world could not contain the books. I think that's in John 20 and in John 19. It also says something similar. The word of God is for us today. Christ came and fulfilled the law. He came to a people that were steeped in self-righteousness. And he addressed the sin that was the issue of their heart. Homosexuality was not a problem in Israel. The law had pretty much destroyed that with the death penalty. So he addressed the need that they did. But in no way did he ever say that homosexuality is now no longer a sin. The New Testament does condemn it as a sin. Participate in that sin as in any other sin and make it a practice or a lifestyle, you cannot go to heaven. Paul to whom the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to personally at his conversion, addressed this. This guy had a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you believe that? He was even at one point in his life allowed to go to heaven. He was blessed with such a revelation, he wrote over half the New Testament. And in Romans 1, he addresses the need of a culture to reject, to, to, to not reject God. Because if they do, they will open the door to all kinds of chaos. Here's what happens. Romans 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, nor be, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, Professing, the, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Notice that word, uncleanness. It's there for a reason, and you're going to find out. Through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, 
For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. There it is again. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So when a culture rejects God and teaches its people they're the descendants of creatures, they're you know, worshiping the monkey, basically, is what evolution promotes. When they do that, they open Pandora's box to all kinds of evil, one of which is our subject for today. The, chap, the last verse of the Old Testament ends with this that unless God turns the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, the earth will be cursed. In prison today are thousands of people in our country who will send a Mother's Day card to their mother, but nothing to their father. This distance from fathers is a trend amongst the lives of criminals and is also a trend in the sin of homosexuality. The young boys need for affection, attention, and approval from a father is a need that unless it's not met will make him vulnerable to predators. And if a man molests him, it makes him even more vulnerable to predators. And because of the vulnerability that is in our culture due to the breakup of the home and promiscuity, and, and uh, just, you know, I'm not meaning to slam people here, but all the you know, young boys that don't have dads and then the boys that do have fathers are crazily committed to their careers or they're as distanced from their sons as their dad was from theirs makes millions of young boys in this culture vulnerable to the gay agenda. It's been suggested through the media that there may be a gay gene They can't prove it. And if you understand how genes work, they come from the father and the mother. Eventually, over several generations, the gay gene would be no more. Think about it. There would be no more. But the suggestion is there. The belief is being promoted that I was born this way. Children aren't born sexually active. Somebody messed with them. They were vulnerable when they're born. I was a kid who wasn't real secure in himself. I wasn't real athletic. I wasn't real outgoing. Uh, when I was nine years old, I moved to Africa where I didn't fit in with the kids. And then when I was 13, I moved back to America where I certainly didn't fit in with the kids. And I was hit on by gay people just like guys are hit on today. 
But because I had a good relationship with my father, it made me stronger. Subtopic for today is dads, get a grip. Give your boy some attention, some affection, and some approval. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. And single mothers, man, my hat's off to you. You guys have an incredible job and are doing a great job. But pray for the Lord to lead you to trustworthy men who could be an influence in the lives of your sons. Because there's a subculture out there that's trying to lure people in to increase their numbers, to gain their power, as well as to bring fresh, fresh material to indulge their lusts upon. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 ends that passage with these words. But such and such were some of you. Probably the greatest lie being promoted in the gay agenda is you're born this way and there's no hope of change. Homosexuality is an addictive behavior due to the sexualization of a man's need for affection, attention, and approval from his father. Galatians 5.19 says the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, which, in, which encompasses all sexual activity, including foreplay, young people and single people. Fornication takes in all sexual activity outside of marriage, which takes in homosexuality. God puts everybody in the same boat here. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is... Lustfulness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions. Verse 20 ends with these words, and those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's good news. Ephesians 6.11 says, and such were some of you. So there's hope, amen? I could, we could go to Ephesians 5, we could go to... Hebrews 13.4, which says that marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God shall judge. 2 Peter 2. Peter, was, a, was he a disciple that was pretty close to Jesus? Three and a half years with him. 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks about verse 6, God turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those who should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, who was vexed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. Jude, brother of Jesus Christ. However old he was when Jesus left home. No doubt he was in his 20s. He was close to him, wasn't he? Listen to what he said. Jude, verse 6. The angels which did not keep their first estate, but left their habitation, 
God has reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, back to the little book with blank pages. What did Jesus say about this? Go to Revelation chapter 2. Oops. There's more than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that records the statements of Jesus, isn't there? Go to Revelation chapter 2. Verse 14, writing to the church in Pergamos, he said, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who was a false prophet, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So have you also those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Balaam was a false prophet who God would not allow to curse Israel. This is in the first part of the Old Testament. Balak was a king who was afraid of Israel and paid him to curse them, and he couldn't. But then Balaam said, if you... If you want to win a victory, I'll tell you how to do it. Use your women. Get some hookers and send them in there, and they'll bring such chaos into that culture. And he did it. A false prophet used sexual immorality to bring down a people. Nikolai, Nicholas was a false prophet in the New Testament. The Nicolaitans were people who followed his teachings that God is love, and we're in the kingdom now. Whereas the angels were neither married nor given in marriage, we're already citizens of heaven. In heaven, there's no longer marriage. And so we're already citizens of heaven here, so you can just sleep with whoever you want. And here Jesus Christ says, I hate that. He's not picking on homosexuals. He's just singling out all forms of sexual immorality. The Bible says in the New Testament that those who commit sexual sin sin against their own body. And homosexuality is a sin that takes you deeper and deeper and when you first get involved in it you do not know where you're heading. Just like any other addictive behavior whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever, when you first begin to indulge in it and you get addicted, it will take you. Bob Nichols says this about sin, pastor of Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, and take you farther than you intended on going. In a minute, you're going to hear just how far it can go. It's been proven scientifically to be normal. We've heard that. Well, if you'll check the history books, 
up until I think 74, the Association of Psychologists in our country and the Association of Psychiatrists treated it as a behavioral disorder, something that needed help. And they worked with trying to help people be cured. But in 74, without scientific reasons, but political pressure, they reversed what had always been the trend of that science. And today, one of the leading spokesmen that led the way in that trend is now saying it was the wrong change. He's not even a Christian, the Jewish psychiatrist. There's another lie that's being promoted today. Homosexuality is okay if it's monogamous. Monogamy is meaningless unless you are married to a person of the opposite sex. Monogamous pedophiles. Monogamous bestiality. I mean, monogamous thieves. I mean, monogamous doesn't mean nothing. Pastor Ed Young, pastors Ed Young Jr., pastors Fellowship Church in Grapevine, 17,000 member church. So I don't think what I'm sharing here today is going to hurt the growth of our church. But he, had, he shared the truth with his people after doing extensive research with a team of people. So at this point in time, Joe, could you play the tape? This is Ed Young Jr., Fellowship Church. Now let's jump to the second question. What activities, what encounters are gay men and women involving themselves in? What are they actually doing? Because we need to know this. The media spin doctors and the gay activists will try to show you and then try to show me that Homosexuals, for the most part, live monogamous, respectful, long, well-adjusted lives. That's what they'll tell us. But again, go to the researchers, as I did. The groups that I read and the studies that I dissected stated that from 2 to only 10% of the gay community would be considered even relatively monogamous. What they define relatively monogamous is a person, being homosexual, having 10 or less partners over a lifetime. We're talking about only 2 to 10% of the homosexual community falling in that category. The other 98 or 90% are promiscuous. And I mean promiscuous. The Bell and Weinberg study, a study done by two men who are not Christ followers who have no agenda or bias whatsoever report these statistics. 43% of gay men estimated having sex with 500 or more different partners. 75% estimated 100 or more partners. 28% estimated more than one. Ten and five hundred lifetime partners. Yet the media spin doctors and the gay propagandists will only show us little sound bites and segments of the gay lifestyle. They'll show us their biased reporting of 
men and women holding hands, walking down Main Street, clad in bright costumes, or maybe a couple of guys kissing on a park bench. That's about the extent of it. But that's not the real deal. That's not what they do. The activities and encounters that they regularly engage in are not normal, they're not God-driven, and they're not an acceptable alternative to God's plan for sexual mass. To explain it further, I want you to hear the words of Dr. Stanley Monteith, a physician who studied the lives of homosexuals for the last 20 years. It's extremely graphic, but we have to know this material because what we're hearing, what we're seeing, especially in the media, is not the real deal. 100% of homosexuals engage in philatio, which is either insertive or receptive oral sex. About 93% uh, engage in rectal sex, which is anal intercourse. And of course, the, the rectum was not built for intercourse. And so when you carry out anal intercourse, why you, you manage to tear the rectal mucosa, you expand the sphincters in many instances. It's not a healthy activity. And it's because you tear the rectal mucosa that there is such a high incidence of disease in these cases. And then about 92% of homosexuals engaged in something called rimming. And rimming was simply licking in and around your partner's anus and involved actually placing your tongue into the anus. And you, you couldn't do this without some ingestion of feces. Then you had something called fisting. And fisting involved about 47% of homosexuals and involved taking your fist in your arm and inserting it into a man's rectum so that he'd have sexual pleasure and you could have pleasure by inflicting this upon him. And then 29% engaged in something called golden showers. And what are golden showers? Why a man lays on the ground naked and other men stand around him and urinate on him. And then there's something called scat. On into playing with human excrement. The Bible talks about the sin of filthiness and uncleanness. Remember, we drew our attention to those in those verses that I read. No one beginning thinks they're going to go that far. But it's there. It's part of the culture. I know a person that was an eyewitness to the excrement thing going on. I watched the show Queer As Folk recently. And uh, they were joking about fisting. So, I mean, it is a reality. It's unbelievable. And it's not God's plan for man. God's commission for us as humanity was to be fruitful, multiply, and walk in dominion. And that is not God's desire. But we serve a God who's able to save to the uttermost, isn't he? He's able. Such were some of you. And um, I'm reminded of Martin Luther, who was so condemned by his sins. As a Catholic priest, the Lord revealed to him of salvation by faith, by grace through faith. And he wrote, these so this, he wrote 30 songs, and this is one of his songs that he wrote. He wrote, Out of the depths I cry to thee, bend down thy gracious ear to me. On my misdeeds in mercy look and blot them from thy holy book. Thy sovereign grace and boundless love show 
Yourself, O Lord, forgiving me. My purest thoughts and greatest deeds only prove that sin in my heart is living. None guiltless in your sight appear, and all who approach your throne must fear and humbly trust in your mercy. You can be merciful while just, and this is my hope's foundation. In your redeeming grace I trust. Oh, grant me your salvation. Upheld by you, I stand secure. Your word is firm. Your promise, sure. The Catholic priest by the name of Frederick Faber wrote this song, The Wideness of God's Mercy. He said, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should take him at his word. And our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of the Lord. God is good. How many are thankful for his grace? God's grace saves us from sin. And God's grace keeps us from sin. The only reason we haven't been in the depths of sin any deeper than we were is because of God's grace. The only reason we're not in the depths of sin that we were is because of God's grace. God is so good. I'm going to wrap it up here. I was going to show you a video clip of two men that have been freed from this sin and have children and they, they share their story of, of how homosexuality originated in their life due to the lack of attention, affection, and approval and how it was sexualized as, as they were young boys and how the Lord freed them from that and how they walked in freedom. It was not easy as it is hard to break any addiction. But the day came when they began to notice girls. Here they are, men in their 20s, went through puberty again. Suddenly, girls were wonderful. <laughs> and of course, that in itself has biblical principles to live by. Amen, guys? How many guys think girls are wonderful? Amen. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. I'm in love with a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. Could the team come forward? We're going to sing a new song to us, which is about the close, intimate relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. And you may know the Lord, but you're not close to him. And the Bible has this promise for you. The book of James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is a song about drawing near to God. Well, here I am, God, with my guiding light, reaching out to me, to help me hand. I know it's hard to find the perfect peace, but I feel 